This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby Snymer. We'll get reaction to the federal government's long-awaited dementia strategy unveiled this week. And how about a food fight? Or at least a meaty debate on real versus fake. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new study finds working just a few hours a week can be enough to improve well-being. British researchers studied 20,000 people for emotional well-being and life satisfaction and compared the results with how much they worked. The findings are surprising. For unemployed men and women, just one to eight hours a week is enough to improve well-being. While this study wasn't geared to older people, it's more proof of the Zoomer philosophy that staying engaged is good for your health. Just like a scene out of the Jetsons cartoon, Uber has announced Melbourne, Australia joins LA and Dallas as the third official pilot city for Uber Air, the rideshare company's ambitious project to transport people in the skies. Test flights are expected next year with commercial operations set to begin as soon as 2023. Uber claims trips will be priced the same as an Uber car ride over the same distance. A Vancouver market is using an unusual tactic to convince customers to give up using plastic bags. Embarrassment. The shame-inducing bags have the names of fake stores like Colon Care Co-op and Wart Ointment Wholesale. The message behind us is we should make a conscious effort to save our planet one step at a time. The store owner hopes the cheeky approach will at least start a conversation about recycling, but it could backfire. Customers are requesting the novelty bags with the tongue-in-cheek messages. I don't know what tomorrow may bring. You know, some of us don't even get an opportunity to age. A 67-year-old woman is one of the models chosen to represent new high-end fashion label Fenty, started by pop star Rihanna. Joanny Johnson's modeling career took off in 2016 after her husband convinced her to pose for a New York street photographer. Then the call started flooding in for the model who represents the beauty of aging and celebrates gray hair. We don't have the math figured out yet. There's no protocol for women attending. There's no protocol for a man circling the earth either, sir. That's from the Academy Award-nominated film Hidden Figures. Now the street outside of NASA's headquarters in Washington has a new name, Hidden Figures Way, in recognition of the African-American female mathematicians in the 1950s who helped send man to the moon working as human computers in the pre-computer age. The 2016 nonfiction book Hidden Figures details the struggles of the women and was turned into an Academy Award-nominated film. A 103-year-old is breaking records at the National Senior Games in New Mexico. Julia Hawkins from Louisiana set a new record for the 50-meter dash in her age group, finishing the sprint in 21 seconds. 
The former teacher also won gold in the 100-meter dash but didn't break her own record in that event set two years ago. Julia started running at 100 and says it keeps her body and mind sharp. I hope I'm inspiring them to be healthy and to realize you can still be doing it at this kind of an age. Ontario's first-ever female cabinet minister turned 98 this week. Margaret Birch says she feels fine but doesn't have quite the energy she used to. Birch was MPP serving Scarborough East from 1971 to 85. In 1972, then-Premier Bill Davis appointed her to cabinet as minister without portfolio responsible for youth. I'm Bob Comsick in for Libby's Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the federal government unveiled its long-awaited dementia strategy, which focuses on prevention and help for caregivers. But it'll take more research to conquer the disease, and that's why Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration and Aging received $46 million to investigate the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of dementia. Dr. Howard Chertko is leading more than 300 researchers in this effort, and he dropped by our Liberty Village studios to tell Libby Snymer about it. Canada is a complicated place because much of what we do for dementia is healthcare, and healthcare in Canada is a provincial matter. So provinces have their own strategies, many of them, but this is a national strategy, so it can do the things that the federal government can do. It can organize standards of care, it can talk about education, it can talk about uh, national public prevention programs, and most important, it can fund research because most of the research that goes on in Canada is federally funded. So this is an important milestone, and it's been several years coming, but what was announced was the, the strategy, not the funding. Where are we at in terms of finding a cure? Because there's not that much that you can do. We have some treatments. They don't work that well. They might delay things for a bit. So where are we at? We're probably 100 years behind where we were, where we are with diabetes. And anyone who lives in Toronto knows that about 100 years ago, 1922, Torontonian research scientist, Banting and Bess, basically figured out how diabetes worked and established a, a way to treat diabetes and revolutionize what was then a fatal illness. So we're now working in the brain on dementia, and the brain is more complicated. It's taken us 100 years more to get where they were with diabetes, which means we're almost at the point of understanding the disease, and I think that cures, treatments, and prevention is close by probably within the next decade. What about improving the quality of life for people who have it and their families? Now, this is another area within the CCNA, our national research organization. We focus on prevention, treatment, and improving the quality of life of people with the diseases, which is actually exactly what we have in the National Dementia Strategy. So the the two initiatives are independent, but they're very much in, in parallel because there's a lot that we can do to help people who are living with the dementias and Alzheimer's now. And some of this is research and some of it are things that could be applied. For example, the stigma, there's still a significant stigma of having memory loss, having Alzheimer's disease, and we need to, and the the National Dementia Strategy focuses on this, we need to create uh, a country where cities are uh, more favorable and less hostile to dementia, where communities are more supportive, where... Uh, people don't go through what is the present situation where caregivers 
are, in a sense, ostracized, isolated, loses support of families and friends. We have to change our culture. And there are initiatives going on around the world, such as the Japanese Dementia Friends Initiative, to try to change the mindset of of people to be more supportive of, of individuals with dementia and their families and caregivers. So we're going to, within the strategy, this will be one area to try to to make society more supportive and amenable. There are other things very practical. For example, one of the biggest stresses that people undergo when they have dementia is they have to stop driving. And they have to stop driving because they, they become unsafe. But now with the the advent of driverless cars, it may be possible to, to modify these so someone with dementia can continue in a car for several more years at least. And this makes a difference for people who live in a rural setting between staying in their home and having to leave the home because they can no longer drive. So within CCNA, we have a team focused on this whole question of driverless cars. Can these be made to benefit people with dementia? There are other technologies that may be helpful. And uh, I'm based at Baycrest Hospital in Toronto, and we have a center for uh, aging brain health and innovation that Help support development of new technologies, smart homes, machines that will remind you to take your medications, and other ways that we can use technology to support people to stay in their own homes and support their their quality of life. So there are multiple ways we can intervene, and uh, the dementia strategy is focusing on this, as is the, the CCNA. We're sort of doing this in tandem. Dr. Howard Chertko, thanks so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Delighted to be here. That was Dr. Howard Chertko, lead researcher with the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration and Aging. The alternative meat market is booming with plant-based fake meats taking over grocery stores and fast food restaurants. Part of the appeal is that eating less red meat can reduce health risks such as heart disease. But nutritionists say ordering a meatless burger at a fast food chain might not be that much better for you. The nutritional profiles are strikingly similar. Both pack the same amount of sodium, calories, and fat content. And in all cases, the meatless versions were more expensive in most fast food menus. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, food distribution and policy professor at Dalhousie University, joins me on the line. My impression is that we're redefining what proteins mean to uh, to the industry. And, of course, consumers are putting a lot of pressure on industry to refocus its energy, I guess, because uh, for the longest time, most of the attention uh, was given to the trifecta of meat, uh, chicken, pork, and beef. And now you're seeing this uh, democratization of proteins. You're seeing tofu, lentils, pulses, and of course you have uh, the, the meat uh, analogs, I guess. Uh, that, that, that's how we call them. So Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger and, and all these products that are coming on stream are really forcing grocers to think differently about how to sell these products to us and, and, of course, at the same time, we're looking at also different places in the grocery store and looking at different prices as well. Now, you say we, the consumer, are asking for this, demanding this. What demographic are we talking about? Or is this demand across the lines or is there a specific age group or groups that are calling for this? 
I think the motivation actually is uh, across the board uh, for different reasons. So the younger demographics are certainly motivated by uh, the environment, animal welfare, systemic issues, really. But the older demographics are actually mostly motivated by the, by their health. That's kind of what we're seeing right now with uh, with consumer behavior. What about yourself, Dr. Charlebois? Are Have you gone, quote-unquote, to the other side? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on how you define the other side. I don't think there is a side on anything. I think it's more about uh, a, a pluralistic, uh, pluralistic view of, uh, of what proteins are. Um, so I think really uh, what's happening is that people are curious and they're willing to explore. I actually was in New Orleans recently at a conference a food science conference where many companies were introducing new products and this year's theme was was i mean it was plant-based everything was about plant-based dieting and tasted probably almost 20 different meatless meatballs and some of them were absolutely impressive i, I must tell you i mean they they had just taste the same uh, as beef and uh, and so I would say that the Beyond Meat product, which is the most well known, is is pretty much average. I mean, there are better products out there, but they don't have the scale and the marketing that Beyond Meat has. Uh, Beyond Meat has really has set the has set a benchmark uh, when it comes to taste, marketing, and of course production. But uh, there's going to be some competition at some point uh, in the near future. And then, of course, you there are others that you try out there that uh, might turn you off uh, uh, a plant-based alternative for, for good. So it really depends on your experience. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think I mean, most, most consumers aren't necessarily willing to give up on meat. Uh, I just think that uh, inside all of us, we, we, we can find a flexitarian who is willing to try different things, and that's all. But our attachment to, to meat is actually quite uh, quite strong, and, and that's going to remain for quite some time. Now, there seem to be some arguments uh, on both sides in terms of the nutritional profiles, if you will, of the alternatives compared to the real thing and, and whether or not there is that much of a difference. Is that something you've explored or, or, or looked at? I think there's a fixation right now in the industry to replicate exactly what meat is doing, and in particular, beef. When it comes to texture, taste, and, of course, uh, uh, how it behaves on the grill and everything, there's this fixation that I think will lead to something else. I think down the road people will appreciate the fact that Plant-based dieting should have its own unique experience, uh, which would be different. So I, I say that right now, this, uh, this period uh, during which we are seeing replicas of beef will, will last for a while, but at some point people will just move on and, and want to taste something different. If you, if you talk to a vegan or vegetarian that actually have tried the Beyond Meat product, they'll tell you that it's, it's kind of weird but a lot of people actually do believe it's, it's, it's close to a replica or very close. And so I think at some point people will kind of educate themselves and we will be aware that really 
if you want to eat beef, you eat beef. And if you want to eat something else, you eat something else. Now, this is new for a lot of people, but no no sooner are we talking about this than, of course, somebody somewhere is already planning the next thing. Where do, where do you see the future of, of, of food, given the this plant-based invasion? Well, right now, so we're seeing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this fixation to replace beef. Right. Uh, but also, there, there'll, be, uh, there'll be alternatives for chicken, for pork, and yes, fish. I actually do see that, uh, plant-based uh, fish alternatives uh, down the road. Uh, it's, it's, that's kind of the momentum we're seeing. That's the R&D that we're seeing right now upstream. Whether or not it's going to achieve any sort of success at retail is uh, is uh, anybody's guess, but but given what's been happening over the last twelve months, it, it's it's quite amazing, really. Doctor Charlebois, thank you so much. This gives a whole new meaning to uh, food for thought. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. That was Doctor Sylvain Charlebois, professor of food distribution and policy at Dalhousie University. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.